2: a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is
3: You are listening to "Waiting on Reparations," a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, yo, yo!
4: Hey, what's good, people?
3: I'm Dope Knife.
4: I'm Lingua Franca.
3: And you are listening to "Waiting on Reparations."
4: Hurry up! How
3: are you doing? Yo, I'm
4: good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm uh working hard, working smart, trying to at least take a little dance breaks, posting them on TikTok.
3: Oh, where you've been? You've been doing the TikTok yeah, dances. Yeah, I've been on
4: TikTok a little bit. It's been kind of fun. You've been doing yeah, the I don't TikTok know. Dances? It's just like it's been fun to do silly little, like I don't know, like little mini plays in my kitchen when the baby sleeps, taking little breaks from work, and just you know, I forgot I have dance moves. I am a good dancer. <laughs> I am, and so I'll do a little little dance TikToks. but like, oh shit, I got it like that. Okay. I still,
3: no, I have a TikTok account. I've been, like I've been flirting with the idea of like just posting up verses. Like you like have. every day, I did that
4: a little bit too. It was fun.
3: Yeah. It's just like uh, I don't know why. It's like I I think I just need to go ahead and do it. I think I've been getting too carried away. I bought one of those round white light things, and it's like it's a pain in the ass to set up. I'm like, man,
4: nah nah, my should be blurry as hell. <laughs> like it's not. It's really not that. It's really not all like that. So
3: well, I uh, tis what it is. Well, bre- speaking of breaks, I took a little break this past weekend. I went on a little vacay down to Florida. Nice. just you know hung out with some peoples and watched the super bowl did you get to see the super bowl
4: i literally so one of my fellow commissioners shout outs to russell edwards texted me in the just like out of the blue he said fitty and i was like what is he talking about um, I assumed it was football related because I had had to get off Twitter that night because all everybody's talking about was football. I was like, I don't I don't sports. I don't do it. <laughs> but then he was like, yo, you're missing the halftime show. It's like Kendrick and Dr. Dre. And I was like, what? yeah, it was, so. it was the
3: first ever um, all hip hop headlined Super Bowl halftime show. So I saw it was pretty cool. You know, I mean, it was like a bunch of legacy. I liked it. It was all legacy acts. You know, you had Snoop, Dr. Dre. Uh, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, uh like you said, the, the cameo by fifty, and then we
4: yo, we had Anderson Pack in the yeah. back playing the drums. That was pretty cute. I was like, I was Kendrick Lamar
3: Kendrick Lamar repping for the Yeah, school. His,
4: his little thing caught me. It was like, you know, when he was doing um I and he was like and we
3: hate. Yeah. Want
4: to kill us dad in the street, fo' show sure. I was like, okay. Well, did you
3: hear about the, the, okay, so there was some dust up before, right? At least Oh, was for, there? for as much, you know, as reliably as you can go on, like, uh, Twitter stories and, and Twitter drama and stuff. But so the word was a couple hours before the Super Bowl that M- uh, Eminem had planned to kneel and that the NFL had told him, you know, explicitly, yo, you can't do that. And then Dr. Dre wanted to spit the line, still not loving police, and still Dre. And the NFL told him that you couldn't do that. And both things happened. So, that was...
4: So, Kendrick was the one that kind of, like, bowed to the... Well, I don't want to
3: say he bowed, but, you know, I mean, Eminem and Dr. Dre did their shit.
4: (laughs) Kiss the ring. I mean, it was, to be 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 honest with
3: you, like, that was, like, while we... Because I had been, I was, you know reading shit on Twitter while the game was going on. So I was like letting everybody I was in the room with know about that whole thing. So when we were actually watching the halftime performance and Eminem kneeled, that was like the biggest pop or reaction Whoa! that anybody yeah. that the whole game got. You know, we were like, oh, he did yeah. it, he did, yeah. it. He did the, it. it. The NFL fun. later <laughs> on declared that um, they knew that Eminem was going to do it and stuff like that. I, I don't know about that. I, I'm just going to imagine that Eminem just said fuck y'all or said I don't give a fuck and, Yeah,
4: that's cool. And, you know, two things come to mind. For one, you know, that at first it's like, well, they had, like, cops kneeling in the streets with people, like, two summers ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, to kneel these days has become such a watered-down act. But when you also consider the context of within the NFL, as well as, like, what Colin Kaepernick has gone on to do with, like, creating, you know, Kaepernick Publishing, and now they're putting out all this, like, radical, you know, like, black feminist and, like, abolitionist Like writings and essays and stuff. It's like, you know, if you're drawing attention back to him in the context in which he was sort of radicalized and like marginalized politically at first, which then caused him to gain this larger political platform it's a pretty dope thing i appreciate he did that i appreciate eminem giving a shine to the cat you know like yeah
3: and in, i mean in, that's cool. in this day and age when you've got like massive media figures like giving motherfuckers the green light to say the n-word and shit i'll take a superficial kneeling gesture
4: yeah what <laughs> you know yeah, what i'm saying please, like uh, please. I, I don't
3: i'm not mad at that please let's not at all
4: yeah at all, at
3: all. Uh, but not. speaking of the NFL, I guess that's a good idea. not wasn't even planning that. Look at that. we freestyled freestyling the show. But that's a good transition because today what we're going to talk about is these, uh, this class action lawsuit that's been taken against the NFL by the former Miami Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores. So just to give you a little recap of it, so Black History Month kicked off this year with a lawsuit from Brian Flores. He was um, suing the NFL and three of its teams for alleged patterns of racist hiring practices by the league and racial discrimination in this class action lawsuit. The teams involved were the uh, Miami Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, and the New York Giants now there's just one active african american coach in the nfl going into next season and that's mike tomlin of the pittsburgh steelers um six of the nine vacancies leading into this hiring cycle were all they all went to white men and the two of the final three openings went to a diverse cast of candidates so the Texans hired Lovey Smith, who's a veteran coach, and a uh, black man. And the Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel, who is multiracial. Um, but both of those hirings came after Flores issued his lawsuit. So we are I mean just j- you're, you're before because you know I'm gonna get your thoughts. Oh no let's hit it. the
4: jump because I got thoughts. you got
3: thoughts all right we're gonna be oh, <laughs> oh, I got thoughts. We're gonna be back with that and more after the jump but we're gonna try to for two yeah I, I, I'm not necessarily a sports ball sports person, but I do like basketball. Football's not really my thing. So for two football novices we're gonna try to see if we can dig into this topic after the jump.
1: It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always
0: wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington.
3: All right, we are back. So if you're just joining us, rewind the goddamn podcast and find out what we're talking about. <laughs> now, Mariah, so what are your initial thoughts on this situation before we get into some of these facts?
4: So the, 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 the facts arising about this lawsuit and the change that it has already spurred brings me back to, in my work, kind of like um, contemplating the value of lawsuits generally. Because there's a lot of things that the city attorneys like plead with us not to do that sometimes we will do anyway. Because even if we get sued, it raises an important issue. And even through threats of legal action, you can force people. On the other hand, you can, through threats of legal action, you can get people to do all kinds of things. So um, thinking about, yeah, like in the terrain of organizing, all the tools we have at our disposal, getting folks elected, marching in the streets, calling the congressman, Filing lawsuits, I think this, this um this uh juncture here kind of underscores the importance of also like using the law against the system. Where it's like, yeah, I mean I don't know if he's gonna win this lawsuit, but already they hired like two black you know, diverse um football coaches. Well, and so like, there you go. Well, I mean, even some go. of
3: that might be a little I mean, we'll we'll get into, you know, some of the history of, of the NFL's Hire, coach hiring in a little bit but even some of that might not even be adequate with with the oh, with the two not, that they certainly hired not,
4: certainly not yes yeah not at all to say that whatsoever but it's interesting what you can get them to do like to start nudging them in the right direction yeah, no, by definitely. like so your ass bitch
3: so like um for someone who like i mean you're out of all the people who i know in my life you're like probably like one of the few people who i know personally that it's like oh this like mariah's on some revolutionary shit (laughs) you know what i'm saying like like she's actually out there like like doing the work and stuff so for someone like you who i consider to be or or, or like uh, more on the revolutionary tip is there any sort of um is there any sort of like paradox created by like using the system to fight the system like, is- I
4: mean, I think we have to, I mean, there's arguments on either side. See, look, there's a lot of people out here that are like, we have organized organize totally separate from the state. We got to do mutual aid. We got to, like, you know, build up for the revolution, whatever, whatever. You got people in the middle that see that, you know, have a more militant bent. We're like, oh, let's march in the street and get our ass beat by the cops. Mm-hmm. And, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then you got folks that, like, fully just focus on what you can do within the system, etc. And I've seen in my time... A tendency among organizers to like be purists about their way of doing things and i get it you you know you commit your heart to something because you think it's the right thing yeah. but like i try in my work try to like not prescribe what is the best way to do it i've seen you know i've advocated for getting people elected and then i've been elected and seen that like it is somewhat limiting and um yeah et cetera et cetera i've seen organizations that are like trying to like do abolitionist work outside of like the state like oh we don't even want to defund the police we're going to create our whole own like systems of safety and and accountability and then they won't like they can't get any money to do it because it all it's all like state grants or whatever and so they're hampered because they don't have any money so I'm just all for diversity of tactics, whatever, you know, just like, I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. I'm not going to be like, oh, filing a lawsuit doesn't really change shit. or Oh, like you anarchists out here with your, you know, soup kitchen like just do your thing exactly like it's none of my business what y'all up to
3: like the same sort of thing that we were just saying about Eminem and the kneeling it's like at this point like any gesture helps (laughs) you know so right if it's
4: gonna like get someone to like Google Colin Kaepernick again like I was saying in the intro and then they're like oh he started a publishing company and they stumble upon like essays by Derek Purnell or whatever like that's
3: kind of cool and I mean anybody who anybody who wants to like point towards like another like lane of attack that's different from a lawsuit, then by all means, you know what I'm saying? Like, point it out or go do it, you know? But like, don't hate on yeah. anybody else's strategy. And
4: there's already there's already precedent in, you know, going back to 2020 once again, where um, uh, basketball players started striking mm-hmm. and like refusing to play, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a labor organizing tactic having, having been used in sports. Now we're trying out lawsuits like who knows who knows what's next i'm excited to see like if people are really serious about this and they don't just sort of succumb to meager (laughs) succumb to meager like uh like oh you know head paths as as you know solutions and justice i don't know let's see let's see what they try next i don't know so
3: i'm sorry did i cut you off no, no, you're good. Okay, so per NFL.com, only five of the last 36 head coaching openings have gone to black men. This is an unacceptable, quote-unquote, reality, as said by the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, who acknowledged that who acknowledged those four days after the league had said of Flores' claims were without merit. Now, Goodell was asked about the discrepancy between the two comments, and he said, It's a good question. Which I've asked our office. It's a, it's a good question. Which in our office, and we've talked about it. I think the initial reaction was regarding the legal claims themselves, and not really what we would say the experience of what Coach Flores was going through. And that's what. And that's what I'm, I'm sorry. More like in,
4: that was the most colorful, flavorful word salad I've ever seen.
3: And that's what. I, and and he, Goodell continues. And that's what I'm more interested in. I put the legal claims and the legal process to the side, and that'll be handled by lawyers. To me, it's more important for us. Whose
4: lawyers, Goodell? Whose?
3: For me, it's more important. The people you hired. To to sort of listen to Flores and understand what he and other coaches are going through. I'm sorry, I just Bruh, wanted to get through brazen, that. The
4: brazen, the brazen contradiction. So let's. And I mean, yeah, just just florid, uh,
3: just so b- equivocation before, and Before fortune. you let the commissioner have it. Let's just, let's just go through some of the facts about the NFL right now and this particular issue. So the workforce, which by this, you know, we're going to say the players of the workforce. Obviously, there's way more people that go into making a team, a team, yada, yada. But of the players, the player workforce is 70% black. The assistant coaches who that is drawn from the players, that's 40% black. Then currently, we have two black head coaches. I only say two black because uh, the third guy is listed as multiracial and not as black. So we have two black head coaches and zero black owners. And there are 32 teams. Mariah?
4: So, look, the fact, you brought up an interesting point to start with 70% of the black player workforce. Because, um... I am curious because this is even this suit is even brought about by like the mid-tier person. Right. Like a like a team, like a no, uh, Brian, he's, he's
3: like, Brian Flores was a head coach. He was a head coach. this past. season. head coach. He was a head right. coach so this past not, season. Yeah,
4: right. So he's not a team owner. He's not like a shareholder or something. He's uh, like kind of like a middle management. The, dude co- the coaches from, in the grand in the grand. Yeah, the, the things, coaches right? are
3: management, but they're definitely in this yeah. for in terms of this discussion, their labor
4: they labor, yeah. right, right. They don't run the NFL. Yeah, they don't
3: own the team. So, or you have stakes in it or anything like that.
4: I think this is very... This echoes in many ways what we see sometimes in, like, the, like larger labor organizing movements. Okay, take, for example, what's going on with Starbucks right now. Like, you know, the first Starbucks unionized in December. Like, ever since then, like, a thousand workers at Starbucks all across the country have filed for having union elections. It's like the what, the... The wildfire is the spreadingest like labor movement yeah. in recent history, right? But you think about the kinds of people that Starbucks wants to hire to manage their image as like very like forward thinking, liberal kind of thing. They're hiring a lot of like college grads, they're calling a lot of artists, a lot of people that, you know, identify with like the Black Lives Matter movement. So these aren't the like I mean, it, it, this is not. I'm not to like paint a you know a blanket picture of everything. I'm sure there's a lot of diversity in their workforce, but you know this this isn't like the like the, the hood nigga that just got out of jail that's going to work at the poultry plant and like you know the blue the, who we typically associate with blue collar folks. There's tend to be more educated, et cetera, et cetera, and so those are the folks that uh, like will advocate for getting theirs more so than the folks at the real about like the bottom bottom like that really need like shit mm-hmm. so the th- like i don't know what the role of the players is in all this especially and we're not even talking about the folks that you know like clean the clean the, the clean the cleats the water boys and the cheerleaders yeah cheerleaders mopping the locker room floor I, I do think so those people are completely left out of the conversation and the, someone who's like in the middle like you know ha- like you know has a sense of has more, slightly more privilege than other folks is the one that's coming
3: for theirs. Well, I think that's what makes uh, conversations like this hard. I think they, the reason why it's like hard for like these sort of like topics to kind of blow up as being a large labor issue is because ultimately, you know, Brian Flores just got paid like three million dollars for the season. You know, I mean, ultimately, we're talking about yeah, rich exactly. people that's trying to get about. more of theirs <laughs> at the yeah at the end of the day. So we have to take the conversation with that prism or that grain of salt or whatever that you know it's rich people arguing amongst themselves even though there right. is like a, a further you know racial and an economic divide that you can dig into it but it's a bunch I of rich people
4: i want to be clear though that like true like economic transformation of this country is going to require people like brian flores to see themselves as more like the 70 percent black player workforce and the uh, janitors mopping the locker room the, to realize he's more like them than the people that really run shit.
3: Well, in um, in his in his def- in, I don't even know if this is his defense because you weren't attacking him, but something that uh, aspect of football that you might not know if you don't like watch it or if you don't know like the inner workings of it this is a huge sacrifice for him. Like he's yeah. most likely never yes. going to coach again. You know what I'm saying? That's like, what I'm
4: talking about. Yes. We're going to need people like that to be willing to sacrifice a little bit Mm. in order for even them to get justice, but also the people below them. Yeah, You know, so like a lot of people, everyone thinks they're like, what's it like temporarily embarrassed billionaires or whatever, especially middle class folks who think they are like, you know, or like even upper middle class folks, let's say like Brian Flores, who think they're closer to like Jeff Bezos than they are to homelessness. But if this is true, if he loses this lawsuit can't ever coach again like his life could take a significant turn for the worse, and that he, he's actually closer to the folks at the bottom than he is someone like whoever like the ceo of the nfl i don't even know that's the thing I, but, but you i know think like I
3: mean. he's he's doing this for future generations so like he's not going right. to coach in the, that's the thing. even if they yes. win even if he wins the lawsuit he's never going to coach again like they're, they're, they're right. not going to so, yes i mean and, and, and exactly. through this there's been there's been a lot of there's a lot of like there's an aspect of the story that's very, very much football, insider football shit. That we're not a sports show, so it's like it's not really, you know, not really but interested face, in covering it. Yeah, but like you know the the aspects of like uh, the, them asking him to throw games and to tank his team and things like that. That yeah, he he's suing on those grounds. But if like this lawsuit is, success- is successful and it ends up the being the end result is that there's more uh, black coaches and there's more uh, coaches of color. That's all going to be dope. But on his account, like that's what he's doing it for because he's not going to be one of those coaches. (laughs) You feel?
4: The next thing I want to say is that having more black coaches is cool, but that's still management. Yeah. That's still reinforcing the idea that like we need more black CEOs and like black business owners to like get free when like at the end of the day, Like, the people mopping the floor are still going to be on food stamps or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? So
3: just, I guess, in the culture of American football, though, is, like, black people, and this this is my general sense, again, as somebody who football is not my favorite sport, but, like, black people in football are very much considered, like, workhorses. And like laborers they're not really considered thinkers you know what i'm saying so the aspects the aspects of the aspects of football that are like cerebral and require thinking and study and watching tape and stuff like that these white billionaire owners don't trust black men in those positions you know what It doesn't matter. So it, ends up, it
4: doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I'm, it I'm, doesn't.
3: yeah, So I'm just saying like quarterbacks, you know, there, there was a, for the longest time, there was a stigma about, oh, black, black men can't be quarterbacks. Blacks, can't, blacks don't make good quarterbacks. That's kind of been shattered now. But even in shattering that, like a lot of those, a lot of those stigmas still persist. You know what I'm saying? And I, I don't think that anything like this is really going to change until the ownership changes. But then again, like I said, it's like you're... That argument is an argument for, yeah, we need more black billionaires. You know what I mean?
4: I mean, if the ownership changes, you put more black people in charge and they are, are more um, understanding of the various kinds of like skill and labor and intelligence that people are putting into all of these positions. Even if you say, oh, like, you know, the, the players aren't smart, they're just buff and, and like strong or whatever. It's like, well, it takes a certain kind of like what you could call like bodily intelligence to know how to like do a little swivel pirouette around some dude when he's trying to tackle you, or like line, like you know, line the football up and kick it straight through the like that. Th- that's like very like complicated and underappreciated, like thinking that has to be done in order to do that. And so like they are very intelligent. And someone who, if you get a black coach in place, you might you might find somebody who like sees that and recognizes like, mm, you know, maybe we need more equity, etc. But it's just, but it's not. It's not something you can just assume. Yeah. You know, not all skin folk, kin folk, etc. So it's not something you can just like assume will get better. There is
3: like an insult to injury in this whole thing. Whereas, like, you know what? <laughs> what uh, group of people actually do end up having positions as head coaches in the NFL? People whose fathers were coaches in the NFL. So they've got a bit of a nepotism issue going on within their ranks as well that only exacerbates the racial issue.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care,
0: and we'll see you there. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television,
1: To getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit.
0: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My
5: name is Johnny B Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con: The Story of Bitcoin. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: But well, let's get back into some of these uh, facts. So, Fritz Pollard—I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Fritz Pollard, Is that real name? Yeah, Fritz Pollard broke the coaching color barrier back in 1921
4: man 1921 the early days was an interesting time for naming your children i mean my kids name may stop who am i to fucking talk
3: fritz pollard but it took it took an additional 68 years (laughs) before art shell became the second black man to lead a team So I don't know how many of y'all out there are familiar with something called the Rooney Rule. Are you familiar with the Rooney Rule at all in terms of football? No,
4: I have never heard of that again.
3: Okay, so the Rooney Rule was developed in 2003, 2002. So it is the uh, National Football League policy that requires league teams to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching and senior football operation job. It is an example of affirmative action, even though there is no hiring quota or hiring preference given to minorities. It's only an interviewing quota. It was, created okay. in two, as a, it was created as a reaction to the 2002 firings of head coach Tony Dungy of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dennis Green of the Minnesota Vikings, both black, mm-hmm. at the time when Dungy had a winning record and Green had just had his first losing season in 10 years. Shortly afterwards, U.S. civil rights attorney Cyrus Miri and Johnny Cochran released a study showing black head coaches, despite winning at a high percentage of games, were less likely to be hired and more likely to be fired than their white counterparts. Former NFL players Kellen Kellen Wilson and John Woten... Oh, sorry. (coughs) Former NFL players Kellen Winslow and John Woten... Then put together an affinity group of minority scouts, coaches, and front office personnel to to advocate for a rule's creation. Its purpose was to ensure that minority coaches, especially African-Americans, would be considered for high-level coaching positions. Now dig this. At the time that the Rooney Rule was installed, there were four black head coaches in the NFL. And they deemed that to be a problem, that they created the Rooney Rule. In 2022, before this lawsuit, there was one head coach, one black head coach. Uh. Oh, my
4: God. So, clearly this is operating brilliantly.
3: So, we've regressed. (laughs) And the Rooney Rule obviously didn't work.
4: Love that for us. What are your thoughts on that? Love that for us. Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's really cool that they did have sort of like a collective organizing project of getting together. These scouts, these front office personnel to make a demand, you know, to like ask them to make things better. But, I mean, ultimately it does seem like it was a superficial measure.
3: I didn't mean to cut, I don't. I don't mean to cut you off, but there's some context I need to give you about okay, Brian, yeah. Brian Flores' lawsuit. All right. Okay, okay. So, one of the things that he's that he alleges in his lawsuit is that the Rooney Rule is like a sham and it's a charade. Like they 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 do they do like the whole you know the whole the the whole all the tricks, the smoke and mirrors, and they do these interviews. But at the end of the day, they don't have any intention of hiring oh, these yeah. black coaches oh, yeah. or the diverse coaches that they're seeing. So they're oh, not yeah. even coming into the interview process with a fair shake. One of the things, one of the examples was, um, so, you know, you've heard the famous coach, Bill Belichick. You've heard that name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So Brian Flores was an assistant coach, I believe, underneath Bill Belichick. Uh-huh. So when... Uh, uh, Brian Flores and another coach who also was an assistant under Bill Belichick, they were both vying for the same job. And Bill Belichick hit up Brian Flores congratulating him for yeah. the job
4: Yeah, I did, he thought I did. he was
3: texting the other dude. <laughs> I did
4: hear him this about this. And this was like
3: four or five days before it was announced that that other dude got the job.
4: Bro, what? People try to say, oh, the coaches are smart there's so much strategy yeah. and the players are dumb but like, <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs>
3: So, so in other in other words, yeah, they knew they were gonna give the job to the white guy, and they had already spread that that word had already gone through to the people who needed to know, and they accidentally and and you know I don't know how much involvement I'm not trying to paint Bill Bill Belichick as a bad guy or anything like that, but Bill Belichick accidentally hit up the black guy to be like, hey, congratulations on getting the job that he was getting ready to go interview for her. and it was already given to somebody else before he even did his interview like behind the scenes
4: so he was about to go interview and they had already picked someone else I
3: mean it, it, you know the the I don't want to be the one to like you know be like oh man there needs to be more uh, black owners but th- at the end of the day if in this particular situation with this particular problem if we're if we, you know we're, we've got to overlook <laughs> we've got to overlook the, you know, a lot of other things to focus on this aspect of the players and coaches and ownership and stuff like that like you said there's a lot of people on the lower rung who aren't even being mentioned in this labor dispute but
4: but yeah I mean I think that like it comes back to the fundamental question of like, does representation equal liberation? Because I think getting black coaches in there might give us the opportunity for them to like see the value of the lower folks, see the value in the players, see, you know, how to be culturally responsive and implement some of that into their coaching. But they might get some black coaches in there that are like, yo, I've got my bag, fuck y'all and not do anything to help advance the conditions in the league. And so, I mean, yes, it's better to have black owners, I guess, but that does not ensure that we are implementing fairer policies for everyone else involved. They could also just kind of reproduce the current situation that all of them are experiencing. Well, then
3: you're going to like this next part. Oh, uh-oh. Because leaders of the NAACP, the National Coalition on Black Civic... Participation, the National Action Network, and the National African American Clergy Network Mm -hmm. have requested to meet with the league's commissioner, Roger Goodell, and the leaders have called on Goodell to replace the existing rule and for the uh, league to examine the specific recruiting and hiring procedures when it comes to its executive and coaching positions mm-hmm. the group also called for meaningful consequences for teams that do not abide by the rules meaningful consequences. their statement says however well-intentioned the effect the Rooney rule has been for team decision makers to regard interviewer interviews with candidates of color or, or interviews with candidates of color as An extraneous step rather than an integral part of the hiring process.
4: I see this all the time in city contracts where we can't per state law, like tell them we can't by state law, tell them that like they have to hire a certain number of minorities or pay even a certain kind of wage so we can ask them nicely to put in a good faith effort to do so. And so recently this cat called me up. Talking about how, you know, for this big arena project here, um, we had, uh, we had like put in a contract and they needed to put in a good faith effort to hire minority contractors. And his friend, I called him up, like, yo, I went to their like recruiting luncheon or something. And there was literally just a whole bunch of white people, it's the only black person there. And like, I don't, well, are, are they going to follow up with him? Like, you know, really, they just, you know, check the box of like, oh, we tried and there's no accountability. So I do think, you know, beefing up the Rooney rule by like saying they have to actually hire a certain amount of people like makes a lot more sense than just like asking them to put in a good faith effort when really it ends up being a superficial effort to recruit people for these positions and take you know take them seriously as candidates yeah
3: and i mean and then the owners like i like that part about making them you know making some some penalties if they don't do it or if they violate shit but it's like what can what penalties can you do i mean there's only 33 of these positions, these owner positions, in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, and we just got to consider, like, the NFL who is, is like, a money-making yeah. like, cultural phenomenon of an entity and shit like that. Yeah. There's only 33, 32 of these owner Period. positions, and every last person who has the position is a billionaire. So it's like, at the, what are you, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to put their fucking boys in. And if there's any rule that they have to break, you know what I'm saying? Like, short of one of these yeah. guys getting in, like, some serious, like, legal trouble, the, you know, you can't take the team away from them. as their team. Yeah. So. Uh, uh,
4: and this is why we should take the teams away from them and collectivize the NFL. Seize the means of production let the owners and be the workers, be the folks out there quarterbacking and kicking putting the thing through the thing um, and the people oh, mopping the locker room. Just collective ownership and management. No more racism. Utopia. It'd be great. Let's go. Get it, Brian Flores. Be the leader.
3: We got a Al Sharpton oh quote. So um, the National Action Network, mm-hmm. uh, their founder, Al Sharpton, said the organization will be approaching states and municipalities to stop public funding and tax incentives to nfl stadiums until the goals presented by the leaders are met so
4: well we should do that anyway i mean like why are we publicly funding like arenas that are making these billionaires billions of dollars
3: but in a nutshell you know it doesn't look good no, and and shout out to Brian Flores for shining the spotlight on, on this, you, especially homie. Black History Month. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think that that was done on purpose. I like the, the symbolism. This is up. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stud, stud, and buck, and
4: oh god, yeah, there's oh, so much of that. The workhorse, and like he's a br- you know, like you know, he's a brute. I mean, okay, it's it's not oh, like r- slavery, slavery, but like yo.
3: R- r- conservatives hate when you make the slavery and NFL comparisons and I shit mean like, like
4: let's be clear
3: look yo no one is making a literal comparison of chattel slavery in the NFL so please it's an analogy to-
4: it is an analogy I'm not trying to say that it is actual slavery because these people are making millions but like the, yeah the, yeah this- yeah
3: I mean that, that, and, and that's, that's that's where you know if you're getting paid you're not a slick. Yeah, there's
4: but like a certain
3: the, I mean the comparisons are fair to make if they're there. I mean I've I've heard I've seen uh some foot like pro football players and pro basketball players like talking and the one dude was like, "Yo man, the in the NFL the relationship that the players have with the owner is kind of like some slavery shit. It's like it's the it's the most it's the furthest it, removed
4: yeah, definitely... from the
3: owner that you get." is in the NFL, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, really, well, it, they're it up there and you're down here, catch the ball, nigga, run, you know? And it's like, like you don't really interact with them at all. So he's like, it really does end up kind of feeling like you're a fucking buck out there on an auction block. And then, you know, whether it's coincidence or not, you look at the combines when they're testing out the new recruits and, and the people are going to be drafted and shit like that. It does.
4: Yeah. I mean no, the imagery
3: like, is definitely slavery. I mean <laughs> can we can we can we at least say that? I mean Can we
4: at least own that? Yeah. I mean I I don't appreciate when like liberals try to hyperbolize issues, but like there is a certain way in which it pre- reproduces the social structures of slavery in that there's like physical labor that's like being like commodified, black bodies, yes, to like sort of make yeah. somebody a billionaire, and then these folks get fucking C that,
3: that get out shit, yeah, it's and that then these get, out get shit, like CTE, you know?
4: and then like die early yeah. or like have mental illness later in their lives. So their bodies are just having the labor wrung out of them, and then they're discarded.
3: Oh, speaking of uh, P- uh, Peel, did you did you see the Jordan Peel? Did you see the trailer for oh. his new joint with Kiki oh, Palmer? No,
4: nah,
3: it's called? Nope.
4: What? No. Nah, what?
3: It looks, it's like it looks like signs with black people, hmm. which I'm, I'm, I'm for. It. I'm with it. I'm with it.
4: Let's just, yeah, let's make remake all the greats with black
3: people. I, I, he needs to, he needs to start with the titles though. Like,
4: oh, what? Come on, what? What are you even talking about? We're gonna need
3: to get some regular titles though. No more, no more us and nope. You know, I don't. I don't you know, just get some. I don't, I don't like the one-word titles. What about science? Science is one word. I mean, like, like, I don't like that title either. Come on, give me a title. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not making any M night exceptions. Can, Candyman is Candyman is two words. I like that. Yeah, Candyman mm-hmm. is two words. At least it's two syllables. What? You know what I'm saying?
4: This is the hill you're gonna die on, really, really.
3: Anyway, that is what we got for the day. Yes. Um, you want to rap? Yeah, let's hit it. All right, yo, Taylor, Joel, I can't see through the glass. I don't know which actor? one of y'all it is, but Love you. somebody give me a beat, please. Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Waiting on reparations, waiting on reparations. Lingo Frank Capella.
4: The black in the beverage, the sweet of the quarterbacking. But when it comes to the coaches, the blackness is sort of lacking. Ah. And it's sort of baffling because there'd be a lot of athletes who could be running things instead they placed in the backseat. All across the country, the workers are organizing from targets to taxis. Yeah, the NFL having this combo feeling timely. Brian Flower has get your shine, B
3: get your shine b hit him with the class action doing it for the culture like the last bastion the rooney rule was cool but it lacks traction and only one black coach got a brother backed in gotta keep fighting because it ain't over gonna put pressure on the stakeholders because they in the owner's box feeling like a slave owner and they're really scared of the revolution takeover. dope hey <laughs> i'm dope knife i'm lingua franca and you have been listening to waiting on reparations mofo
4: Have a good week. See you next time. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
0: or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between.
2: a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
5: I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.